The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome, dear listener, to Echoes of Eshetan, a solo play Degenesis podcast that lets the dice rolls tell the story. You'll find the gripping narratives in this apocalyptic setting unfold before your very ears. You'll hear stories of loss and injustice, redemption and hope. A miasma of gloom drifts across the barren wastes while nightmarish beasts roam and terrorize cities and settlements. Only mankind's inexhaustible will to survive offers the faintest glimmer of hope on the horizon. The echoing shades of the bygone peoples lingers on the wind and on the lips of survivors in this hell on earth. What stories will they tell? Evening, the cross quarter. Uriah hustled up the steps of the church of St. Samuel, adjusting his belt girdle and weaponry as he approached the threshold of the huge bronze and wood double doors that granted entry to the front of the church. It had been several days since Isaac's dialogue with Simeon. There had been much to discuss about visions, emanations, and the Anabaptist call of duty. Simeon met in private counsel with Uriah and Sarah and could speak directly to what he perceived as a righteous intent for their son. What brought it on at this time and age remains a mystery to the Anabaptist now, but at the evening services tonight, his inner pneuma would help guide his path and the freshly pressed Elysian oils from Cathedral City would be a lamp unto his feet, driving his desires and ambitions for the cult. Simeon stepped into the light of two braziers that illuminated the doors of the temple with a flickering glow and waved Uriah up the steps. The two embraced briefly as cross-quarter parishioners pushed past them on their way to and from the evening prayers. Simeon led Uriah in front of him as they followed a small crowd into the front doors past the vestibule. There was a pair of Elysians inside the doorway, greeting everyone that came inside. A simple wooden stool and a sack full of salves and poultices filled in the space at the base of a plaster statue, which featured a humanoid figure. Bushy metal wires symbolized the wheat and other tall grains that grew up between the figure's legs. Uriah clumsily bumped into an older woman with his bulky stature. My elder, please forgive. Are you all right? Oh, I'm quite all right, although I'm sure it could be much worse, my hand. Any more force put behind your frame may have spelled the end for me. Well, perhaps not, Elder. I find my constitution grows faint these past few days. Well, your worst days perhaps rank among my best now, the elderly woman replied. She shuffled up to the Elysian and was helped to sit down onto the wooden stool, where fresh blisters were cleaned and dressed with clean white cloth around her hands and fingertips. Uriah recognized the blisters from the leather reins of a horse and plow during his time in the provider field. He spoke to the Elysian over the top of the crowd. Make sure this woman and all these people are treated, even if it extends into the twilight hours. Resupply if necessary. He pulled several bills out of the leather pouch he had used to pay Isaac with and passed them over to the Elysian, who bowed as they were pushed into his hand. Thank you, my hand, Uriah. In the last two centuries, two currencies have established themselves. From Borka, the chronicler's draft has spread to Poland, Pergare, and Franca, and has superseded lots of local currencies among tribes there. In Africa, southern Hyberspania 
In parts of the Balkan, the African dinar is held in the highest regard. The massive gold coins are minted in Constantine across the sea. The issuance is under surveillance of the Bank of Commerce in Tripol. Higher-ranked chroniclers, like Multithread from Episode 1, can print out as many chronicler drafts as they need and ruin the economy in one day, but they act responsibly. Perhaps to avoid leading their own brothers and sisters into temptation, the draft printers have a preset contingent, which only prints so much. If it is used up, they must be reset by an even higher-ranking chronicler, a streamer. Simeon tapped Uriah's shoulder to get his attention. What say we head inside? The ceremony is about to start, and if we wait too long, we'll drown out the choir, eh? He said with a wink in his eye. Uriah licked his lips and nodded at Simeon. The old orgiastic weaved a path for Uriah to follow inside the church and past the heavy timber pews. The carpet was worn with ground-in mud outside the sanctuary's inner chamber. As the congregation was beginning to lift up their voices in song, they had arrived next to a chamber door set into the stone. The chamber door had a large ringed handle that squeaked noisily as Simeon tugged on it with a strong arm. It rattled just the same as Uriah shut it behind him, right as the choir had hit their chorus. A chant inside the chamber slowly began to replace the choral voices from outside. It rose in pitch and seemed to punctuate every step of Uriah and Simeon as they moved closer to the source of the sound. Candlelight and the soft glow of incense bundles lit the dank room and drove the darkness to the corners of the masonry. The room was bare save the large metal candle stands and two small kegs on the ground among a circle of five people. They were all standing in a circle around a man, his head bowed and hands clasped as if pleading to a divine presence. Uriah stopped short as a robed Elysian moved out of the way to reveal Isaac at the center, hands offered up in love. The sight of his son in submissive adoration made the mammoth Uriah well up briefly with pride. Do you think he would follow in the medicinal arts like Sarah? whispered Simeon. I'd hope so, but perhaps you will be a great leader of men, like Amos, Uriah replied. Or Uriah the Fierce, Simeon said with a smile before ribbing Uriah and approaching the inner circle. The chanting subsided upon Simeon and Uriah's approach, and the circle opened so that Isaac could see his father and friend head on. Uriah knelt down and clapped his son on the shoulder. Pray hard. Search with all of your might. Illuminate your mind in this safe place. He arose and stepped backwards to the outer edge of the circle. Isaac nodded while keeping his eyes closed. His father's brief encouragement was all that was allowed during the ceremony to avoid any distracting feelings of family or want. He breathed in deeply, the cinnamon and floral incense beginning to fill his nostrils. He was ready. The chanting began again as Isaac focused. A hand drum began beating along with the chant as the circle of men wove guttural barks and grunts into the tapestry of the hymn. Uriah felt under his breastplate for a patch of cloth Sarah had given him before he left in the late afternoon for the church. She had grabbed his arm as he headed up the trail from the house. She brought the cloth down with a clenched fist, and Uriah had tried to comfort her, but she pushed his arm away and paced back towards the house. Grief for a son whose innocence was about to be lost forever. He unfolded the small olive fabric with hand-frayed edgework and passed it to Simeon, who uncorked a tiny leather costrel to douse the cloth. 
viscous oil flowed from the costril and shone a golden hue even in the dim candlelight as it spread across the fibers. Simeon took the damp cloth and folded it into a lengthy bandana to tie around the crown of Isaac's head. The young initiate's blonde hair was gently swept back and kept in place by the headband as the oversaturated bits of the cloth weeped thick drops of oil down Isaac's cheeks and nose. The Elysian oils are named after the four rivers of paradise, Parat, Hedekel, Gehon, and Pishon. According to legend, these rivers carried various valuable seeds, barks, and pips, like cinnamon and coriander from the Garden of Eden, the paradise that fertilized the world. Today, the Elysians gather spices and roots, press them, and extract an oily essence. Through several cleaning processes, they increase the quality and finally mix the essences according to the ancient recipes to produce the four well-known and appreciated Elysian oils. But there are also other blends on the market. The most notorious ones are Styx and Asheron, named after two rivers in the realm of the dead. When they are mixed with burn, it becomes a damnable abuse. No Anabaptist should be caught with these oils. Isaac could feel a tingling on his forehead, and then a burning. It felt as if a red-hot poker was being pressed into the space between his eyebrows, and he winced at the pain. The burning subsided quickly and gave way to euphoria, a wave of it, as Isaac's mind opened to the pneuma. Isaac breathed out slowly as he perceived the new visions set upon him. Great star constellations and plum-colored galaxies swirled slowly in the sky above him. Thousands of tiny gossamer tendrils filled the midnight blue void of his mind like strands of cotton floating on a soft breeze. A blue orb dotted with brown and green spots floated past his head in a small orbit. It was suddenly struck by a black shower of iridescent sparks, making the blue-green orb's color fade to a charcoal gray. The orb slowed and began drawing closer to Isaac's chest. He looked down and thought quickly about raising his hands to block its path, but something stopped him. All of his senses lit up as the orb approached, and he could see his heartbeat. He could smell the sun. The touch of grain stalks rippling in the wind filled his ears. The orb was at his chest now, and he could feel the muscles in his arms giving off heat like he had before, except this time there was no nightmare, only a calling. The charcoal grays softened to slate, and then dark moss as the orb passed through Isaac's chest. Isaac opened his eyes and saw his hands reaching out for something that was no longer there. He had come back to himself, panting with exertion and soaked in sweat along his brow and his chest. The group of Anabaptists look equally tired. Some are squatting and older members were in a kneeling or seated position, smoking herba and tobacco and big spidery plumes from their pipes. Every muscle in Isaac's body felt engorged with blood as he closed his fists and flexed his arms. The oils? D did they do this? He said between breaths. The five other men roused and gathered around him, smiling and laughing. Well, well, said Simeon. Four hours and you're finally awake. Isaac looked around at the candle stands, nearly burnt down to their base plate with dwindling wicks. I only felt gone for a minute or so in my mind. The divine pneuma and the festering sepsis were revealed to me, two sides of the same coin. I realize now the plague on the land can be purged with devotion from me, from us, 
Uriah interjected. He knelt down to Isaac again, this time embracing his son fully in a hug. Come and replenish yourself. The oils have been known to put lesser initiates in short comas. Uriah helped the exhausted Isaac to his feet, where the circle of men broke apart to individually congratulate the newly ordained orgiastic. After several mugs of wine and a handful of savory dried meat, Isaac felt less disoriented and dizzy. He could see his father clearly now, resplendent in his fur coat and shining emissary's hand brooch, smiling at his fellow brothers in arms. They eventually all took their leave, leaving Simeon, Uriah, and Isaac alone in the chamber. The Paran oils from Cathedral City were pressed just last week, Simeon said as they drained the last of their drinks. Your father requested the most potent among the batch. Isaac looked at his father, a question on his face. I knew you could handle it. Whatever comes from inquiries about your emanations, you can stand tall in the fact that you embraced the light and fertility of the land that we've stewardship over. No one, not even the Baptist Council, can take that from you. We must get some rest. You will have your first orders come the next sunrise. The trio dispersed silently from the chamber, up the row of pews, and back to the church lobby, where the pair of Elysians were packing up the now empty sacks that had carried their medicines and sundries. Isaac stepped over the threshold of the Church of St. Samuel and breathed in deeply, taking the cool night air into his lungs, already wishing that the rapture from the oils was in his mind again. Are you looking for a D&D podcast with a dark side? Something more like Game of Thrones and less like Monty Python? Tale of the Manticore is part dark fantasy audio drama, part solo D&D RPG. There's no plot armor here. The dice make all the important decisions. Join me as I resurrect the excitement, wonder, and emotion of old school D&D. Made for a mature audience, Tale of the Manticore is both a fiction and a game. It's the story where chaos rolls. Afternoon, the cross quarter. The table inside Uriah and Sarah's house was set with several loaves of flatbread and roasted vegetables along with tall pitchers of water. The pitchers of water held down the corners of a curling piece of parchment. Uriah, Isaac, Simeon, Sarah, the confessional sentry, whose name was Brig, and another orgiastic from the Church of St. Samuel, Rebecca, stood shoulder to shoulder, hunched over the parchment, as Uriah and Sarah outlined the rough plan of a raid on the bakery. Bits of charcoal flaked off the nub as Uriah finished drawing a diagram of a pincer attack of sorts, should anyone try to escape the bakery. And here is the hidden exit that Zacchaeus told Brig about, right? Sarah pointed out. Right, he confessed only after three baptisms, Perhaps his cause was not as rigid and unyielding as he suspected. The other orgiastics among the group chuckled, but Uriah kept his focus on the map. It may still be a numbers advantage for them. Our force is formidable, but small. Simeon, did your touched find anything else about how many strong these scions of Nihil are? Uriah is a savvy Fuhrer with many battles under his belt. He, Zamuel, and other survivors of the war campaigns on the Sepsis have hinged on having a good strategy with decent intel. 
This will be a Psyche plus Cunning roll. He's also going to get another two dice from Uriah's allies' background. And this should be able to gauge how many foes they could expect based on their current intel collection. Difficulty? I'm setting no hard rule for this, so I'm going to make it up as I go, and I'll grant information based on the total number of successes. Action number? Eight dice. Ooh, huzzah! That's a lot of successes. Yes, my spies tell me they're 30 strong. Minus one Zacchaeus, perhaps. The number took Uriah back as he scratched his coarse red sideburns. 30 antagonist. In such a small space, not ideal, as we certainly can't march on the bakery. It would give away our tactics, and who knows who is on the lookout deeper inside the bakery. Sarah spoke up again, disgust wavering in her voice. Is like of the bitches pack of dogs a last resort? Uriah shook his head. The last thing we need is involvement from the litigators in Uptown, let alone those shunned brothers in High Judge Lyca's pack. Besides, they're always too involved investigating the petty crimes of the cartel to care, so why should we? No, we will have to be smarter than the heretics. Simple as that. We'll position a strike team outside the back bakery entrance for cleanup. Rebecca and Brig will have nets and swords to slow their escape. The rest of you will be on me as we storm the bakery. Simeon, is your Spitfire charged with a fuel canister? No, I'll need to requisition one before we move. Good, then do it. I will be on point to try and talk down any belligerent souls inside the bakery. When diplomacy fails, then there will be nothing left to do but God's hardest work. Isaac gripped the hilt on his newly sharpened sword as he listened, his knuckles turning white. The entire morning since he awoke, he was briefed on the raid mission, and with a memory like a steel trap, he absorbed every piece of information about his foes, the Scions of Nihil. He was buzzing with energy and hadn't even removed his olive headband since Simeon put it on the night before. Even Adina, who was staying with friends in the interior of the cross quarter, could see a difference in his face and demeanor before she left in the morning. Isaac, are you alright? Did they bathe you in the oils of Rebus when you went to the Church of St. Samuel? What was seen was for my eyes, and my eyes alone, dear sister, he replied. Adina hung her head dejected as he spoke, but he lifted up her chin as he reminded her, All the grace we know is from the divine Numa and his grace. Have faith. I must be rubbing off on him, she thought. Adina met his steely-eyed gaze with a smile, as she saw he was indeed brave, just like she'd always known him to be. Uriah and Simeon concluded the meeting, and the rest of the Anabaptist made their way to their assigned rendezvous spots across from Banding Hill to lay low and make ready for the evening strike. Hey, Coop the GM here. We've got one more exciting episode featuring Uriah, Sarah, Isaac, and the Anabaptist gang before we swap characters again. But I am curious. Reach out to me on social media and tell me which cult you would like to see next, dear listener. You can follow me on Twitter at Echoes underscore Eschaton. And be sure to check out my WordPress site, where I post more in-depth game mechanics and character outlines at echoesofeschaton.wordpress.com. The music in this episode was provided by Tabletop Audio. Until next time.